to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Good evening, listener, and welcome to the Big Red Couch. Here in the approximately sunny United Kingdom, I'm Craig, and on the other side of the world, in the currently indeterminately uh, weather-situated New Zealand... It's Ben. I'd be surprised if it's sunny at this time of night. Uh, oh yes, it's the wacky English midsummers. Yeah, there is that whole... Um, and their murders. Oh, so many murders. <laughs> oh, so, so many murders. It's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, to be fair, the sun has actually gone down, but it takes a really long time to do it. High mm. latitudes are weird. Yeah, yeah, we're starting to get the sort of, yay, it's 6 p.m. In the, in the evening and it's gone dark. Poop. Yeah, so ah. the, weather, the weather has been swerving wildly between actually just about frosty and okay, but damn. So, yep, typical Auckland, not the depths of winter weather. Ah, it was actually raining here last, I mean, we are talking about the weather, but I'm, I'm going to mention this anyway. It was actually raining here last week to the extent that I was actually feeling a little bit nostalgic because unlike the regular rain, which really doesn't have a lot of enthusiasm, it's sort of, it's happening, you don't really have to care. It was actually raining to the extent that there were times I thought, maybe my hoodie isn't suitable clothing here. Maybe I actually need a waterproof layer. It was very exciting. Just to overbid your tedious topic, I had a dream in which I determined that I was in England by the fact that the place was just immersed in suspended water. There was just there was just a, a thick fog everywhere. That wasn't it doesn't obscure vision like normal fog. You were just damp constantly. I mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> that it's not all the time, but that did happen a bit. Um I've got some fantastic photos taken at the train station I used to go home mm. to in the evening where all you can see are the bits that are in the light cones of the lamps. Everywhere else is just there's nothing there, man. Mm. It's just gone. The nothing has taken it. A little bit, yeah. Cool. I mean, to be fair, it was also surrounded completely by fields, so there really wasn't a lot out there aside from cows. Watching you. Always watching. Don't kid yourself. If that cow could kill you, it would. <laughs> Alright, so we actually have an idea for this episode that does not involve English weather or the murderous, murderous instincts of cows. Though, we could probably work with that if we pushed into a corner. Yeah, hmm. possibly by a cow. <laughs> this idea comes to us from the voluminous and fertile brain of Jared O, and reads, Stranded. Yep. I feel like I should have had something to follow on from that, but I didn't. Um, it's just stranded. That's, that's the idea. Descending minor chords. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Fix that in post. Okay. It's not, not going to happen, is it? Eh, I just try and take out the swears or the, like... The, the worst ones. The worst ones, yes. The nine unprintable words that will end the universe. All right. Yeah. Things that will make the Pope say, oh, really? Come on. <laughs> so, Stranded, from Jared O. I, yeah, I've got an idea. It's, it's one of my standard issues, sort of, here's the basic idea, and then here's th- three different takes on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also leads in with a little bit of how I desperately wanted not to do yet another fucking spaceship story. <laughs> um, though I did go to a musical on, on Sunday. That was a non sequitur. <laughs> if it wasn't for my horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college. 
Nice. <laughs> oh, that's a thing. Somebody gonna have to remember that. Somebody overheard that, and this, there was like there's all there was a thread somewhere. Them try their brain exploding trying to. <laughs> was it my horse? I wouldn't. Do it. That's brilliant. <laughs> was a somebody is a from a comedian called Lewis Black. The Japanese American Sex Manual and Cookbook and How to Train Wolves. Where have you been, Jack Dunlop? What kind of things have you seen? (laughs) So, I have an idea. I'm led to believe that, Ben, you also have an idea. That's an unverified source, but fine. There are other people on the internet who have ideas. There are lots of people on the internet who have ideas. Some of them are even relevant to this podcast. (laughs) Good point, and I... Yeah, I I set myself up for that one, didn't I? Mm. Okay, that was the thing that happened. True story. So, would you like to tell us about your idea, Ben? Sure. He says, dropping his co-host right in it. Well, just to be as, as, as relentlessly tedious as possible, I sat down and tried to figure out this one freaking... What is this, an adjective? Is it a verb? I'm not even sure. What part of part of language it... I'm a STEM graduate. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I did some English, but I don't think it, it, it took. It, it most, I mostly do my um, language composition by instinct and hope. But, you know, it's, very, it's, it's one of those ones where we're not dealing with a lot of information. And the concept of stranded, be, someone being stranded, it always brings up to me one of the endless series of desert island one-panel comics out of newspapers or magazines and so forth. Because it used to be a real trope. The guy sitting on his ass under a single palm tree on an island that we know specifically these days would not exist for most of the um, tide cycle, regardless of what point in the tide cycle it is at the moment. Yeah, and in, in, in an improbably small island. Improbably small. Yeah, a sandbar, apparently in the middle of the ocean. So, and those aren't impossible, but I was fascinated with why that became a trope when the number of people lost at sea by themselves who survived long enough to find a ridiculously small island and then spent enough time on the ridiculously small island to be rescued to let anyone know about it seems like a really like a very very slender use case of course the the island itself is an abstraction a desert island is basically a deserted island an island without habitation Mm. but you know and and I suspect, particularly in the the Caribbean or somewhere in the Pacific. But humans, pernicious species that they are, if if something can sustain human habitation, there are generally humans there. So it's a weird thing. And I'm wondering, I was wondering if it was sort of like a early variant of the zombie survival Elmo syndrome. And Elmo in this case is L-M-O-E, last man on earth. I was going to ask because I mean what I basically had is the character from the Muppet verse or the character from Brushstrokes neither of which seem to fit yeah Prepper Elmo would be probably a really popular toy slash cuddly friend Mm. (laughs) but um, I'm not sure the whole the 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 spirit of Jim Henson would come through (laughs) Oh, I think the the um, the spirit of Jim in that particular circumstance, the spirit of Jim Henson would make his uh, his views on the subject very plainly felt. 
possibly by rising out of his tomb. <laughs> yeah, to seek horrifying vengeance upon people desecrating his legacy. Uh, but that's just my theory. Though I do like the idea of, mmm, Henson smash! Um, <laughs> I feel, feel that is a sound and scientific theory that you've got there. So, yes, my, my brain ran amok and you know thought of all the, those sorts of cartoons and the idea that there are plenty of survival in the wilderness stories and so forth. And maybe they occupied the same sort of thing with like, oh, if I was released from the, the like mundane, tradition constraints of society and I had to forge my own path and um, survive on the, in this place and maybe, you know, adopt some random coloured person who definitely wasn't, like, inhabiting the place before me because that's not how colonising works. Yeah, yeah, there was maybe there was, a, there was a thing that was going on. Yeah, so that was... I found that intriguing, but then immediately realised that one person on a stupid island does not a role-playing game that I can think of make. It does lack a certain amount of the interaction... Unless you want to throw in the crab civilization. True. Maybe, yes, warring against the, the Crustacean Empire and so forth. That is... Like, so, yeah. Because it, it sort of favours more of a psychological study. Like something like Castaway or something. Somebody trying, struggling not to go completely doolally while by themselves. Because also <laughs> the, 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 like the, pro, the problem, the outcome set is either you accomplish victory in the scenario by escaping or acclimatizing or the def- defeat comes from just dying or acclimatizing successfully to your new life and then being rescued it's a lot of mm. it's a bit too open-ended and, and, and quite a huge downer on both sides of the uh, the defeat thing so found that a bit found that as like an interesting thought experiment for all playing game but not not really uh, not something I've come up with for the idea it for an ongoing game, it could be a good bottle episode, though you do run the risk of, you know, the GM takes all your toys away and makes you talk to one another for a, an evening, and, you know, things will probably either get really intensely psychological uh, or punchy. Or they will tear the system apart in an attempt to get off the island. Yes. Or out of the jail cell, because there was a game that... Uh, Gulo T, who has appeared on this uh, podcast many years ago now, ran, which started with everybody locked in a jail cell, gleefully ignoring the actual scenario because we were too busy trying to find out what the floor and walls and uh, roof were made out of so that we could concoct an escape plan. We may not have been engaging with the story in the most... um... GM-approved way... Well, not just that. It, it was the, there was there was a, there was a tale being told, but we were really obsessed with trying to you know pick the locks of the universe with our own eye teeth, kind of thing. Yeah, and as I recall, we had an annoying tendency to adopt NPCs who were really only there for backstory. Well, that's a pretty normal thing, to be honest. Um, yeah, but anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah, and the the idea of like while you want to have some sort of trust and buy-in, of course. Why the why the bottle episode idea came to mind was the um, I've been watching Doom Patrol and of virtually all of the superhero uh, genre stuff that's come out and across the span of the slightly campy DC TV stuff and the slightly less campy Marvel um, TV stuff, Doom Patrol is a, is a DC thing but based on a um, 
run of comics that started in the 1960s and it was rebooted by Grant Morrison in like the 90s. It's basically a bunch of metahumans who have powers but are utterly broken people and argue and bicker and really struggle to work with one another. And the most recent episode we watched was called Therapy Patrol, where the the least the least suited person to run a group therapy session decides they need to run a group therapy session. Um, and you learn a lot about their characters and their problems and but it's it's kind of amazing and horrible at the same time. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying Doom Patrol possibly more than any other of the the recent crop of superhero TV series. And I've quite enjoyed many of those, but Doom Patrol is simultaneously hilarious and heartbreaking. So, yep, that's uh, that was a, that was a thing. So, veering wildly from all those topics, I went back to our normal bullshit of something on a spaceship. <laughs> what the <Yes>. actual <laughs> hell, dude? Uh, sorry, man. I'm... No, you're not. I know what sorry sounds like, and there's less <laughs> laughter involved. Yep. Yep. Basically, the way that I could fit in the the concept of people being stranded somewhere, and I was being very arbitrary about the single person stuck on a desert island, one palm tree, one seagull thing. But the the one that I the notion I came up with was there has been a a, a tragic accident on some sort of vessel. It doesn't have to be a spaceship, but I was liking the spaceship idea. And it has become stranded. And in the course of the accident, its ability to communicate with the outside world has, has been destroyed and there's no navigational propulsion available to it. It's gotten up to supplies to survive for an extended period of time. But the captain, the, 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 the main organising principal of, of the crew and so forth, has also been taken out of commission or just isn't being listened to anymore because of the events of the thing. So you have a enclosed environment stuck somewhere and unable to be rescued. And the notion I had was that this 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 little this little pocket of survivors has in you know, if you go for a spaceship you get some like like sort of decent sized interactions, but you can scale up and down as you need. They with a little help might have the resources to effect escape or signal for rescue or something but the little society is completely fractured and has been and it has been this way for a little while at the time the adventurers the party of, of pcs in this circumstance would be a group who have discovered them mostly by chance and they know if they affect the rescue of this group they get rights to the salvage and reward for rescuing these folks split four or five or six ways if they call an outside help a much larger organisation will take their cut. If the if the if their little isolated group takes it, they're, they're set. They're made for life because there is presumably some sort of friendly equivalent of a bounty or a reward for mm. sal- for, for salvaging the the vessel. Because obviously, the folks on the vessel couldn't do it because they would have done it by now if they could. Yeah, it's the sort of salvage salvage prize. I know there is a term, but yeah. Mm. So, if they want to get the 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 brass ring, they need to make their way on board and affect a set of repairs or, or you know, affix, you know, supplementary engines or, or so forth, or maybe even just, you know, organise the, the folks in the crew to get the vessel 
rescued. Maybe they need to get it back to to close enough to national waters or into like a, a space lane or something like that, so they can claim right. We we've rescued it. This is enough to count as a rescue. But either the inhabitants are you know just hostile or suspicious that somebody just hasn't like put a couple of badges on their, their spacesuit and come around the other airlock and are claiming to be rescuers or just getting the the component the, the components they need which are you know different parts of the ship together is is a real challenge there's no easy way to do that and they've got to negotiate and affect changes between this before they can while it's in everyone's best interests the the, the group that they're rescuing is so divided they can't just rock up and say hey good news everyone we can fix this and yeah, I was trying to think of a way of making that a set of social and technical problems for them to discover and fi- figure a way out to resolve. Hmm. I mean, yeah, as you say, a lot of it depends on on the size and nature of the ship. I mean, if you go with... I mean, starting at the very big end of things, if you go with cliched ship that's big enough to be generation colony ship even if it wasn't actually supposed to be one yeah yeah definitely an accidental an an accidental generation ship kind of yeah Yeah. um you know where they weren't they weren't actually planning to to have a colony ship it was just a well we can build a ship that's big enough to have an ecosystem in it Mm. why don't we do that because it makes it largely self-sufficient if it turns out the destination isn't quite what we hoped for or we, or we just accept that these people have survived and managed to do something with whatever resources from the ship. We don't need to mm. dig too deep on that side. So yeah, then you've got, you've got the potential fun of effectively factions actually holding significant territory. Now it's like the okay, so we just need mm. to cross patch some power conduits. That'll be fine. Oh, but we've got to go through the territory of those guys. We don't yeah. need anything from them. We just need them to not stop us yes or it would be a lot simpler if they were helping and certainly a much much simpler if they weren't trying to beat us to death yeah and it does feel like some of the uh what's the term for it the sort of system shock bioshock kind of roam around discover and resolve issues kind of video games while there's while there is a story mostly what you're doing is is traversing from place to place and sorting out various challenges and issues as you go yeah, sort of first-person shooty puzzle solver kind of thing. Yeah, I think yeah. inter- interactive is a better term. I think interactive simulation or interactive. Yeah, is the is the one that they've settled on. Yeah, so yeah, on a big ship, you can have some fun with that one. On a smaller ship, I think you can do it, but it becomes more play-like. It's more of a like a stage play of you know, ah, there's the captain, he won't turn the wheel to the left unless we sing him a song or something. It becomes a little bit more abstract in that level. But, you know, you're rather than dealing with groups of people and, like, a political dynamic, it's more of a personal one. That would be more, like I say, it would shade towards more waiting for, for Godot um, on a boat, but... Yeah, you would need... Uh, yeah, I think, actually, as you, yeah, you've sort of put the finger on it, the, the smaller the cast of antagonists the better you need to flesh out why they're antagonistic with with the the sort of the kingdom of the mid decks it's reasonably easy mm. with why is the engineering team in sort of active active non-lethal conflict 
with food production. Why is that going on? Yeah, you could you could build and explain something like that. When it's like two people and they're disagreeing about something that would otherwise get them rescued, you're probably lifting it up into a more abstract or possibly even surreal level of, of interpersonal conflict. Mm. Or potentially turning it into a mystery story of you know, any two reasonable people would have been able to sort this out. Mm. Why can't or won't they? What's... What's the missing piece here? I would suspect that would that would cross over into more almost uh, mythopoeic kind of oh I can't do this because I'm the captains and captains can't do this and and, and it would become more like I say more a an, abs- an abstract kind of play like situation provided people accept that or you've punted them into some sort of situation where like like a mist game but with you know with with actual people and so forth so you're like mm. we're doing these crazy abstract things because i'm sure they'll make sense soon you could potentially i mean maybe not with two people but with only a handful of people left you could have a certain amount of fun turning it into a creeping horror type situation oh yeah that everybody's really keen on being rescued but simultaneously is refusing to do all of these things that would get them to be rescued and not really explaining why. And, you know, the reason being that there's something on board, nobody wants to admit it's there, but everybody Mm. knows it's there. Yes, there's some presence, or at the very least, everyone is convinced that there is a presence that will, oh, we can't leave the ship because we'll take the infection with us. So we can't do that. We can't do the rational thing. So we have to do this, this, otherwise weird irrational thing instead especially if you if you if rather than going for the these people who've been trapped here for some time and have gone a bit a bit lala it's like oh we're here to help why why don't you want help thing mm. <laughs> yeah even so it's quite recent yes uh, like imagine i think yeah, for, for some reason we were just we, we mentioned it earlier but it's like imagine turning up to the antarctic base in the thing and saying Come on, everybody, get on the helicopter. Oh, yeah, I mean, I was thinking of somebody turning up to those last two guys and saying, mm. we're here to rescue you. And each of them thinks the other one is the creature. Each of them doesn't want to let the creature escape. Mm. Each of them kind of wants to live themselves. Yeah, it's that sort of impasse. So, yeah, so sorry for doing a disgusting loop back to our own stinky old tropes of yay spaceships that people live on and that's so great i in my defense i I saw that that the episode of the um doom patrol and i've just gotten the my kickstarted book for the flotsam rpg oh which looks very interesting yes a gmless diceless uh system for small scale storytelling in places like decrepit space stations and um societies that are uh, out on the fringe awesome Mm, so yeah, that's it. Was high in my mind at that time. I mean, it sounds very past me my story stick, but that's not a bad thing. Oh, I think they, looking at it, they've they've done a lot of when you're introducing as when you're introducing things into the story. It's pretty much one player asking questions of another, as as a lot of these of those sorts of games are apt to do, and, and you know, it's a bit of a necessity just to keep things moving. It's like there's always a level of collaboration about things going on. There's like asking. It's vaguely related to Apocalypse World, less the dice system, but a lot of the 
what does your character mean to me kind of thing or what is this thing so you're you're taking on stuff for situations and there's always someone playing the circumstance in in the okay. uh, thing so somebody setting the scene and playing the what what what's the challenge that's going on and then the other the people playing the characters are interacting in that in in that scenario so that's what i've picked up so far so yeah so yeah cool. a little bit of there's a little bit of sort of it's not not entirely gmless it, it is uh, facilitated in a more distributed way so yeah so that that sounded like something you could try on the stranded front so nice cool do i launch into mine which will begin with a diatribe against your idea Excellent. That's that's definitely okay. the way we, we want to run this. Just combative and and, and conflict ridden as possible. Indeed, indeed. Uh, because I looked at this and what I thought, unlike Ben, was I don't want to do another spaceship story. Yeah, yeah. You can't really tell over the audio, but I've got this kind of I'm taking the moral high ground here expression on my face. It's really very convincing. <laughs> My microphone looks suitably chastened. Indeed, indeed. You should have started with my esteemed colleague or something in a very derisive oh, tone. Yes. damn it. Oh, I should totally have gone with that. I mean, I'd, I'd like to claim that I could, I could have listened in, I could have listened into uh, to Parliament TV or, or audio in order to get that right, but I don't think they're using esteemed colleague very much anymore. <laughs> my esteemed colleague, the minister of fucking things up and sucking farts out of a dead dog's bum... <laughs> Oh, Chris Grayling. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> if I've got the name right, he is the minister who, without much in the way of like consultation or competitive bidding, handed a, a multi, multi-million dollar ferry contract to a company with no boats. Ooh, okay, yeah, he is definitely qualified for that position in the cabinet. Yeah, he basically just seems to go from portfolio to portfolio, screwing it up. Uh, at this point, there, there, I have seen some jokes along the lines of that if, if we really want to stop Brexit, all we really need to do is make sure that this guy gets put in charge and it'll be cancelled within a week. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, enough of that local political yes. humour. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, local political, um, political news of no real import outside of the tiny little country that I'm in. Uh, So I did not want to do yet another science fiction idea, unlike my esteemed colleague Ben. And because I had nothing better, um, a better to came up with, I started to do play on words, reminded of the existence of a place in Auckland called the Strand Arcade, Hmm. um, which is basically your kind of shopping arcade. Apparently there's also one of these in Sydney, but I don't know about that one. I don't know about the one in Auckland. Mm-hmm. I think it's not an uncommon English or English-speaking place. There's also the Strand and Parnell, and, other pla- and I think it's another place in Auckland as well. So, mm-hmm. which is like, and that's a whole street. But no, I know, I know of the um, the little thing between Queen Street and Elliot Street. Yep, and it is basically just. Now, it turns out the, the term arcade actually has an architectural meaning and effectively is a space made up of archways, mm-hmm. which is more or less Strand Arcade. I don't know if it is actually a gap between buildings that they built stuff in. It seems more likely that they built a building with this three-story high archway that punches through it yep. between two streets and lined it with shops and mm-hmm. put a pizza restaurant underneath, at least for a while. 
there used to be steps down into a, a pizza. Mm. I sort of thought about that and then tried to come up with, okay, so I've got this stupid play on words, where do I go from here? And basically it was the idea of a person, or in the case of a role-playing party, multiple persons being trapped in a space that's designed for transit or very limited occupation and not being able to get out of it. Hmm. That's kind of the, the, the core of the thing. And me being me, I came up with a couple of different takes on it. So in no particular order, you've got the the falling through the cracks kind of idea. So the sort of thing from um, Neverwhere or the, the graphic novel Midnight Nation, where for whatever reason, a person kind of falls out of the real world and into something that's quite a lot like the real world that doesn't necessarily interact with the real world that much. Hmm. So in this case, you've got these people who are stuck in this shopping arcade. And maybe there are other people who are stuck there as well, or maybe it's just them. Um, they could. I kind of like the idea that they can see sort of the ghosts of the daily shoppers moving around. And maybe if they're sitting on a bench, they're just real enough that nobody wants to sit in that space. But nobody right. is really aware that they're there. Some sort of urban uncanniness. Pretty much, yeah. You're a an, an urban uncanny sort of thing, where they are stuck in this arcade. Depending on how you want to do it, maybe the reason they're stuck in the arcade is that they just can't walk out of it. They sort of walk out of one end and reappear at the other. Or maybe the arcade is the only bit that's safe. Because, sort of, I mean, Queen Street in and of itself isn't that great a street, but it's not a howling void of monsters. But eh, maybe once you've fallen through the cracks, it is. Uh, I... Yeah... I respectfully know, disagree. Yeah, um, don't spend as much time in the uh, the the central city as I used to. I think there's a reason. <laughs> mm. It's it's just noisy and smells dreadful most of the time, and is crowded and so forth. So yeah, the um, might want to avoid London. Yeah, yeah. Also, the frankly, the, the shops are all shit. <laughs> so you know, mm. nothing particularly I'm interested in. So yes. Okay, Howling Void of Monsters, I, I dig it. Yep, um, quite where the scenario there is. I mean, that one, I suspect, is just an an out-and-out out urban urban weirdness, urban horror scenario. You are people, you have fallen through the cracks, get out, somehow. Right. You know, maybe, maybe there are other places like this. Maybe if you sort of crane your head, you can see that there is a patch of light further down the road. You just need to figure out how to get there. Hmm. Maybe there are more people in your situation. Maybe there's a way out. Depending on how you wanted to tap into this, you could go for something like The Fades, mm, which yes. had a very weird and creepy vibe. Indeed. I I would strongly recommend that for something that, that lasted a series and then just dropped dead. It's a, it is a great little six parts or so. I think it was a six-parter. Yeah, a great little sort of modern supernatural horror with its own little mythology which i really enjoyed hmm. so there was that one um that one's kind of the least formed in terms of what you might do what mm -hmm. the players might do but as a, as a kickoff for a probably quite creepy fantasy hmm. especially if you wanted to set it in your own town just for that added level of people arguing about which uh, which stairwell to use to get into the car park because that did happen once in a changeling game <laughs> That that would be the way to go. Another approach 
if you take it from a a changeling slash fey angle, and the arcade is this this little patch of fairy. Most of the time, people will just pass through it and never notice it, though they might think that, oh, it's a wonderful place, and there's these shops with stuff that they never really see before, and it's it's a really awesome place to visit. And, you know, the fairy, depending on your approach, you know, quietly siphon off a bit of the joy or whatever, and, mm. and it's all it's all wonderful and lovely. But the mortals aren't actually supposed to stay there. So maybe they get stuck, or for a slightly more entertaining and <laughs> okay approach which would possibly fit in reasonably well with the Dresden the Dresden Files um, and, and other sort of related works approach to, to Fey contracts. If you imagine a group of people, they're a little bit drunk and a little bit belligerent, they get told it's closing time, aren't interested in leaving, and basically say, we're never going to leave, and the response is, okay. Yes, it was like, we're not leaving, you can't make us. It's like... Okay, you don't actually understand what you just did, but it you did it. <laughs> yeah, as you wish. Well, now we can't, and now you can't. Fuck. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, that one kind of gives you the... I mean, depending on how you want to do it, you can go with the... This is a flat-out, you managed to piss off the, the Lord of the, the Arcade, the Lord of the Strand, who has cursed you with your own words... That you will not leave. I tend to make it even less personal than that. It's like they've just the 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 they have this little stronghold. They 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 keep up all of the little um, rituals and, and and mechanisms that keep them safe and provide for their community in this place. And some people, some yob has just managed to stand in the right place and say the right words that they've basically, you know, they've 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 put the place into a into it like a kind of lockdown mode so it's like yes you have poked the bear and now we have to deal with the situation oh i hadn't i hadn't thought of them putting the entire place into lockdown mode i just thought of it as the they put themselves into lockdown mode and there's a few of the shopkeepers sort of doing the oh you idiots yeah uh, either or as far as the, the the players are concerned or the the the, the, the um if, if the protagonist or antagonist are concerned these people have done this thing. That that were the the, poss- the possibility of the rumors of the riches and things held in these little trinkets and and, and jewelry stores and so forth have have tempted somebody to break in overnight, when you absolutely shouldn't break in overnight. <laughs> mm. And now you're trapped there, and you're not actually a guest of the fairy. You came through the wrong door, okay? Mm. For a start, it's a window, <laughs> and yes, but also, you you've entered via the wrong method, and now we can't get you out without doing something very ridiculous. Mm. So yeah, for that one, I mean, you've either got the story of a bunch of idiots effectively learning how the fairy world works from the point of view of somebody who has absolutely no clout whatsoever. So it's. Pretty much the you're a first level bard attempting to um, to level up kind of territory. So man with a guitar chasing squirrel. <laughs> uh, it was a yes, something I, I saw. Sort of. I, I think I either saw it or I've I've seen enough internet to reconstruct <laughs> it from base principles. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So potentially you've got that if you basically if you've got the the response from the denizens of the arcade of well you're in trouble. 
not our problem. We're not going to do anything to you, but you brought this one on yourself. You get to solve the problem. They may be very um, libertarian in that way. (laughs) Mm. And it's not impossible that there are other people who have made that transition to no longer being part of the mortal world, even if they are mortal themselves, or... You know, they work closely with the Fae, maybe just you know, as, a, as a shopkeeper or something. But yeah, they're in a situation where, well, you've stepped right in it and it's your responsibility to figure out how to how to undo this because it shouldn't have happened in the first place. There, aren't, there isn't a mechanism for that. Mm. I mean, that one, that one would work brilliantly if you wanted to introduce a bunch of players to a setting. If, on the other hand, you, you could take something and sort of put it a bit further down the line. So here are some humans. They have been stuck in this arcade for a while. Given that there's that whole sort of time-shifty thing that sometimes occurs in, in really good fairy stories, as it were, who knows how much time has passed in the outside world while while they've been in there. Um, and what happens if things change out there and suddenly... Well, actually, having a bunch of mortals might be useful here. Hmm. Not quite the thank you for saving us humans, but um, more of a so we may have found a ticket out for you, but it's going to be very risky and dangerous. No, no, don't volunteer all at once. <laughs> so yeah, that that was idea number two. Okay. Yeah, I mean idea number three came courtesy of I think an RPG net post where somebody was wondering how long you could survive in a Walmart. A Walmart. I've never been sure on the pronunciation. Which then, in the nature of RPGNet, spun off into all sorts of weird, um, weird directions. I'm. My question would be: Are you talking about survive? How long you could survive working at Walmart? How long you could survive in an operating Walmart in a perfectly normal society? Or how how long you could survive in a dysfunctional society using things found in a Walmart? Because those are all different and probably depressingly, increasingly longer lengths of time. I think it was a mix of the, the, the latter two. So the power and the water and the light still, yeah, still worked. Uh, right. But you couldn't leave. Right. It wasn't a functioning store at this point. There wasn't somebody coming in the morning to open it and let you out. No, no. This was, this was you were trapped in there. Which, which went in a bunch of odd directions, but one of the directions was somebody's suggestion of a Walmart that has become dimensionally unstuck. And it is basically drifting from universe to universe. And stock is still arriving at the goods dock somehow. They're not quite sure how, but mm-hmm. it is. And so, yeah, sort of taking that and running with it. So you've got this shopping arcade that has become a drift, and it's drifting between the worlds with these luckless folks inside of it who just happened to be there on the day, possibly while enjoying a frozen yogurt. It, you could make it even more late-stage capitalism is effectively the uh, trans-dimensional parasitic corporation store has captured a bunch of people who cannot, who cannot leave but are obliged to restock shelves and check out stuff to these flickery app- apparitions who pass through the stores because that is their, their fate. Wow, that's dark. <laughs> that is so much darker than what I scribbled down. I mean, I was just imagining... And I, I did try coming up with something based on this, but it was a more sort of computer-organized situation. This one would be would be a little bit more 
uh, you know, a, a little bit more um, face-to-face shopkeeping. But, yeah, effectively this arcade that is kind of drifting from universe to universe, usually dropping into the middle of some sort of circumstance that could be nicely uh, sewn up by the players by the end of the session. And in the meantime, they're trying to run the stores, trade for what they need from the people or the cavemen or the lizard folk who arrive at this store that suddenly cropped up in the middle of nowhere. And it's unusual, but no one really questions it. This is sort of like a dreadful retail Doctor Who. Well, it is now. <laughs> I mean, I am imagining imagining the whole thing of the, 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 the sort of the doors at the end of, you know, the, the, the mists outside clear and the, the, the sort of the inexplicable doors start to rattle as a sort of, oh, goody, it's another zombie apocalypse world. No, 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 it's, it's just Black Friday. Oh, <laughs> so much worse. So much worse. So, yes. so much worse. Yes. What I, I might immediately started picturing is, are you being Surth, but with John Pertwee? Or just maybe additional John Pertwee. Like it. Call back to a previous episode where we name-checked, are you being served? But yes, the idea of a trans-dimensional... It's kind of like at the, sh- the shitty intersection of Tales of the Floating Vagabond. Doctor Who. Doctor Who... Some part of Ghost from the uh, the White Wolf series. Oh, Wraith. Yeah, Wraith. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So some sort of dreadful, extra-dimensional purgatory. Wow. As a, as a totally on-the-nose, not even critique, just piss-take of capitalism and Walmart in general. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my Walmart version of it would basically have been that the, um, the, the players are... People who were in the store, in this this very electronic store at the time, maybe the um, maybe sheltering from some horrible lightning storm that's occurring. The store manager and the staff are basically locked out or taken out of the picture, and so now you've got a bunch of people in this store. As far as the store is concerned, in order to access the break room, you have to be a member of staff. So you've basically got people kind of checking in and having to do nominally these jobs for a largely automated store yeah which is which is so ambivalent about who the people who are working for it are and the hr processes are so automated if it looks at its possible pool of candidates and it's like oh it's the warm bodies inside the store right now fair enough any anyone can do these this job (laughs) here here is your card (laughs) pretty much yes meanwhile they're dealing with Dinosaur invasions and zombie apocalypses and and all sorts of crap. So yeah, that that one was very much the the Doctor Who approach. This one with the shopping arcade. Um, I, I like the Are You Being Served or the um, the lots of little stores vibe. That that kind of feels like it fits more. So a bit more a bit more old school. Either the the Strand Arcade in Auckland is like is between Queen Street, which is like the main finance slash upscale retail street and has been since you know Auckland was a well since I reclaimed a huge part of it from the um, the sea <laughs> um, yeah and, and it goes directly through one block inside a building for a distance of maybe know, 60 meters something yeah. like that yeah it's not it's huge just, but there's a lot huge. of shops crammed into it yeah they're all and they're all side by side and there was a I think it was a food court the downstairs went to a food court for a while which was had a pretty it was a pretty authentic sort of random Asian cuisine stuff when I was working in working in town which was pretty good 
Yeah, a couple of decent tie places from recollection. Yeah. But we digress. We we definitely digress. I'm I kinda of like I'm kind of enjoying the idea of transdimensional capitalist horror purgatory teleporting Walmart. Yeah. That that kind of links us back to the, the it's kind of the hor that well, the, the extra dimensional horrors approach to the the, the the changeling one that these people have wandered in and for whatever reason attracted the um Attracted the attention of the landlord, as it were, who has decided that they will make fine employees, whether they want to be or not. And um, the the rest is is a hairnet and a smock. Pretty much. So you, you've reminded me of two things. The, I think it was one of the Simpsons things where they go to a big box retailer. And this was back from like the early, you know, the, the good episodes, inverted commas. Uh, back in the 70s. <laughs> Yes, yes. Let's start pretending that The Simpsons has been on TV forever. Um, that, that'll that'll solve all of our problems. From my memory, it has, but functionally, yes. Until recently, worked with a, a, a colleague who was basically as old as The Simpsons, and we gave him. He was like, "Well, but they started like yeah, they started this thing." I'm so sorry, I am older than The Simpsons. Like, ah, you're forgetting the Tracy Ullman show, <laughs> mm. because of course you are, because you weren't born then. <laughs> So yes. there was a there was a line about the they're going to a, the 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 family was going to a big box store. I think it was the Simpsons, but yes, where was it? It was like Google Mart. Where shopping is a baffling ordeal, <laughs> <laughs> which I I liked. The other vaguely related thing I thought of was like gamers explains that the um, the final opponent that you have to beat to to win is called the boss. Max, go on. Not sure I'm getting that one. As in Karl Max. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> ah, so in this case, they have tried to seize the means of production, and the means of production punched you in the face and told you to go back to work. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so hmm. as an allegory, I like the um, bewildering Black Mirror version <laughs> of either the, the technological one where, say, you have to keep the store operating for long enough for it to reset and let the actual employees back in. Or take you home uh, yeah. so that you can just run giggling out the door throwing your um, security badge away as you do so. Indeed. Or, oh, yes, the, the ludicrous transdimensional version of that. I mean, if you go with the, the late-stage evil capitalism approach... Redundant, but go ahead. Granted. But still have the dimension hopping. I kind of like the idea of effectively doing this as a... giving the players the opportunity to be Machiavellian little dickbags. So it's kind of a, alright, where have we ended up? We've ended up in cavemen and dinosaur world. Okay. How do we get the shift supervisor eaten by something so that one of us takes his job? How do we get ourselves far enough up the ladder with people nicked from different universes nominally uh, under our command so that we can take over this place. Hmm. Which I guess is straight back to Karl Marx. Well, that's more... That sounds a bit more... It's uh, more Stalin. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Perhaps a bit more Stalin-y, but with, like, more dinosaurs. Because, as as I recall, Stalinism had practically no dinosaurs. A, a, A woeful dearth of... So... Soviet socialist dinosaurs, yes, that is, that is true. And yeah, and where are they now? See, more dinosaurs. 
Where am I going with this bit? I don't know. Have you seen Chernobyl yet, though? No. Absolutely see it. It's terrifying. Fair enough. I, I did go and look up the Wikipedia page on the actual Chernobyl incident to see whether my dim memories of a two-hour physics lecture on the accident were in any way accurate. You recalled things about xenon pits and uh, positive yes. void coefficients? Xenon, xenon poisoning and uh, going prompt critical. Yeah. Um, they're not absolutely certain about that, largely because th- much of the evidence will still kill you within a couple of seconds. <laughs> there is speculation on that front, as I understand it. They're not yeah, sure. The best working theory is yeah, it was probably this thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 either. They either accidentally built a steam catapult out of their nuclear reactor, or they actually managed to assemble a very crude nuclear weapon. Yeah. Probably the former. Okay, so have, have, we, have we kicked that one around enough, do you think? I think so, I think so. We have, we have, we have we've gone, gone on that one. So, that was your middle idea? Those, those were the three ideas. It was basically the falling through the cracks, mm. oh, yes, kind yes. of... The, the falling through the cracks, urban weirdness, horror approach. There was the dimension drifting arcade, which I was thinking of a kind of a whimsical silliness, and you turned into a critique of late stage capitalism. And you know, I can't say I'm bitter because <laughs> that's not a bad idea. It wasn't one I thought of, but yeah. And there was the, the the fairy realm, right, right, the fairy realm one. Though actually, a thought on the fairy realm one would be if. Depending on how you wanted to do it, you could use it as... It's going to sound weird. You could use it as kind of a a, a setting jump within an urban fantasy game of sort of introducing people vastly out of sync with the rest of the world that they've been... You know, they were these idiots who said, we're not leaving here uh, and you can't make us. Got told, yep, fair enough. And then eventually through fairy machinations, the Lord dies and suddenly that curse is removed. And they can leave. But do they even recognise what happens outside those doors anymore? There's also the possibility of, like, the, the door swinging both ways and, say, a bunch of fae being banished to food courtier. <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't you be frying something? Ah, uh, invade us in. <laughs> Girl, there's a hor- horrifying thought that the, 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 the changeling return from, um, from fairy that, that occurred in the, at least the changeling, the dreaming setting actually just has them crashing into various food courts yeah yeah okay maybe they're, they're, they're lords of revelry suddenly and you know and, and plentiful food accidentally map onto dreadful dreadful food courts so it's like yeah for Michael aligned hell holes with friars um yes where is the lord of this domain uh, i think he's just cleaning the grease, grease traps hang on yes <laughs> so that would basically be changeling the drudgery yes Indeed. Now, see, I've got you doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, with that, we we have had an audience submission for for Stranded. It will come as absolutely no surprise to anybody that it comes to us from John. Mm-hmm. The setting, the future. Automation has freed everyone from the drudgery of working to make a living. Everyone can get universal basic income and have access to everything you'd ever need. Good food, housing, healthcare, entertainment, anything. Suck it, late-stage capitalism. Fair enough. Uh, (laughs) As long as you let yourself be chipped at the age of 15. You're playing the unmonitored 
People, for one reason or another, never got chipped or refused to be chipped. Amongst this automated horn of plenty, you have to scavenge for scraps. You live in the cracks of the city. If you get sick, you'll probably die. Oh, not everybody is heartless. There are those that try to help, but they all say, if you get chipped, then all of these problems go away. You've met one of your fellows that opted to get chipped. He's not the same. The game is a takeoff on that game of late-night scrounging urchin, where you're trying to survive in the machine that is the city. There is a goal that everybody strives for, the outside. Outside, the food is free, you can sleep anywhere, live life the way you want to, and nobody will put the machine inside your head. Yes, the players are playing people who really need some help, and probably some special medications. Does the outside exist? Who knows? This may be one huge planetary city like Trantor or Coruscant. Or it's just a big arcology and there is an outside, polluted and dying. Or there is an out there, nature turned wild and returning to the wilderness it once was, now that man has sealed himself inside his blocks of concrete and steel. I'd leave that up to the players. This would probably be a GMless game. Not sure what system I'd use, or just come up with my own. The players would have to deal with day-to-day life, scrounging for essentials like food and water, though the latter is available from many sources. They'd have to be on guard for the dogs, the robotic enforcement units that patrol the streets and keep them safe. Now, they won't kill any of the unmonitored, but they'll stun the crap out of you and dump you back in the cracks. Since you're unmonitored, you're not a real citizen, and you don't even get the privilege of being incarcerated, just dumped off into the refuse. Wow. Yes. Okay, so harking back to the weird dystopian thing. Mm. I like this one. This is pretty cool. It reminds me a little bit of Goblins because, you know, in, a, in its way it's about social class and uh, being on the underside. Yep. I mean, bits of it... When the thing with being chipped, what that reminds me of is I think John Christopher uh, wrote a there's a trilogy, though there may have been an extra one, mm. about the, the uh, basically alien invaders called the Tripods. Yes. Uh, from so. memory, there was a TV series that got like two of the three books done. Yeah. And in that one, when people came of age, they got um, capped. This sort of metal thing that sits on the head and um, doesn't really seem to change them very much, but makes them pretty well disposed towards the Tripods. Hmm. Yes, that was good and creepy. And as I recall, the... the as unfinished the tv series was as a kid it was sort of kid friendly because the protagonists were quite young but Mm. it was uh it still managed to be quite a creepy show in its own ways yeah it was it was a good movie the the books were quite good as i recall Mm. it sort of felt a little like the a more socially engineering sequel to uh war of the worlds to a degree i mean the tripods obviously are you know parallel inspiration to the um, to the margins but yeah it goes a little bit further and you get to learn a lot more about what the society of the invaders is like hmm yeah the the invaders had a bit of personality and some differences in personality in there and Mm -hmm. um yeah it was a good one so yes that whole thing of putting the machine inside your head has a certain certain something to it it, and it doesn't need to explicitly control anything. It could literally just be sort of like augmented reality and little little useful, helpful things that function partially as like privilege and, you know, you have access to things and you've got, you know, you know you, you presumably there's some level, some sort of currency or insecurity access and all sorts of built into it. But 
that also that shapes behavior and possibly your even your awareness of stuff that's going on. Mm. Yeah, because as you said, even if it's not sort of affecting people's yes, if it's not directly affecting people's thoughts or anything, mm. but you've still got a bunch of people who, when a sufficiently large local emergency occurs, everybody suddenly starts acting kind of as one group because everybody's receiving instructions saying, "Okay, we've got an emergency. You need to do this thing right now." Yes, and they might just be they might literally just be following the same signposts. But yes, it could it could appear very weird and ant or like ant-like or very or, or slightly robotic to somebody who is completely unaware that something is going on if everyone reacts in the same way at the same time and also while you might get lots of useful inf- and, and, and you know useful context and information from blank walls or people's faces or something like that so you're you're you have this extra layer of of communication and how untainted that is is a completely different question but then you look at somebody who's not chipped and they're just kind of a blob human blob without all this extra context you might Hmm. you might not treat them as people because they're 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 that different so the 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 effect of dehumanization of the folks outside of the system has become automated to a level where you know people are pretty good at that anyway <laughs> so yeah it mm. would be a it would be a, a a interesting experience a game like that i think yes nobody nobody gets out of your way when you're trying to move through a crowd because there aren't any of the signals saying hey this person's in a real hurry because of it um on, on a on a high priority thing that they're doing give them some space mm. yeah you're not getting any of those signals yeah equally they presumably don't understand why you're not getting out of their way when they're barreling through. Mm. Mm. Yes, it's not that they can't see you, you're just not reacting to the things that everybody else is. Yep, and so yes, you're, you're slightly wallpapered over, and presumably there, there are updates about, you know, be aware, this, this section of pavement is about to be auto-washed, and yeah, you don't know about that until you get auto-washed. Hmm. <laughs> It's yeah. It's like a it's like a um, an electronic version. It even even without being malicious, it could function as like an electronic version of the hostile architecture. You know the 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 bus stop seats you can't possibly sleep on. The spikes on the uh, railings or um, edges and so forth, or even like the the uh, the skateboard grinding stops on on surfaces and things like that. So you're in even. Even if it isn't that directly malicious, it still functions as something that keeps someone out of a space. Yeah, but the the idea that there is some there is a notion of this big rock candy mountain out there somewhere that they're trying other people are trying to figure out how to get to. That one, I mean, to a certain extent, that puts me in the mind of uh, the Logan's Run movie. Mm, yeah, exactly. Because once you have escaped, what? What do you do then? Hmm. Um, what's, yeah. What happens next? Actually, I, li- I like this one as an examination of privilege because the idea that you know, if you have the, if you've got the the the, the mark of the beast or whatever it is, the, the 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 integrated ability to to have your access to this universal income and and so forth. Whenever you feel hungry, you go get food or water, or you you can you can find you can find a place to take and take to sleep you can just roam around the world doing your thing you 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 have no precarity at all 
the people who don't have access to that system, everything is everything is a challenge. Everything might might become uh, where they know that they can get food. They're going to 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 stick around that place. They're going to when they know that when the restaurant throws out its it, or the bakery throws out its old stale bread or something like that, they'll, they'll know that's part of that's part of their their survival strategy and so forth. People who don't have that that burden just won't understand the problems that they have so it's a good mm. examination of where you know that unkind of that that unchecked privilege where that thing is your these things are available to you trivially but other these other folks for one reason or another that world is denied to them and that's kind of an interesting examination of that yeah because i mean if you if you cannot afford to go more than a couple of days away from the bakery that you know puts out the um, the burnt or unsolved um, loaves for pickup by the municipal recycling um, folks in a space that you can get at them. You're not going to go more than a couple of days without wanting to loop back to that location, which massively limits your ability to travel. Yeah, at the very least, and it's like yeah. there'll probably be some level of you know. Um, you know, hobo jungles or, or hobo signs, effectively. People, you know, they may, there may be a community that kind of tries to share these resources, but also there equally may be that community may only be sharing it with people who are part of that community. So, yeah, you you have you have you're very much relying on something, and presumably there is a depending on how sinister you want to run it the being chipped presumably everyone being part of this sort of collective thing might not be you know it might probably not literal mind control but it's probably it has an objective and the likelihood that everyone is wholly aware of that object what that objective is is good or bad is a bit uncertain yeah it's it's got to have a some implicit bias towards some sort of society so Maybe you agree with it. Maybe you don't. So, yeah. Mm, and depending depending on the take you want to go with this game, it is either the this is the game of how much do you take before you just give up, mm. which seems like a bit of a downer, but um... does a lot. I mean, the, the I just had a thought. The idea somebody somebody who who is inside the system but habitually helps the, the the people who are outside of it would they be regarded as the person who feeds pigeons in the park? Kind of this this kind of yeah is, what, what level is that kind of come through at? it's like yeah 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 are they are they oh you're just encouraging them they're a nuisance kind of thing it's like uh... is it yeah you could you well i mean depending on where you want to go you can start looking at various cultures with with caste structures and mm. um that gets oh yeah it's, a, absolute, it's hor- absolutely horrible caste very quickly yeah. yeah 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 or it, it's certainly something that's hard to integrate with our um, our sensibilities. <laughs> so here, here in the West, we like to imagine we've outgrown caste structures. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, it is a nice dream, indeed. Um, but yeah, there's lots of possible. Yeah, the, the, the determining what the escape is, like you know, if the the, the escape functionally is, ah, we have we have we have freed ourselves from the system. We are we'll run free into the baking radiated wasteland or the green and wild wilderness outside that we are completely unprepared for could also be a bit of a downer yeah i mean you could take depending on how you wanted to do that ending you could, you could take a leaf from an episode of stargate sg1 where 
it turned out that the world outside the the habitation zone or dome was this beautifully manicured garden. It's just that the systems mani- beautifully manicuring the garden didn't want anybody messing it up, so didn't tell anybody it was there. <laughs> oh, it wasn't actively pruning the humans then. That's nice. It wasn't actively pruning the humans. It's just, yeah, I think there was a line in there of, you know, sort of, they're free to leave the um, their simulation at any time, uh, which is all very nice, but if you don't tell them that the door exists... Yes. Or that there's anything on the other side of it. Lying by a mission. <laughs> Indeed, it's a classic. It's a classic. Nice. I, I, I dig this, and it's, um, I think, more elegant and less japery than my little jab at the um, social structures that we inhabit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it would, be, it would be interesting to see what happens when the players... Assuming that there is an outside that you can get to, and that the outside is survivable. I mean, whether the you know, perhaps the game ends with a bunch of people stowing away on a ship that takes off from the the city that effectively is the entire planet at this point, mm. and heads off to one of the the nameless, entirely um, automated colony worlds, agricultural colony worlds out there to find somewhere where the chips aren't or mm. wandering out into the into the, the wilderness or possibly sort of getting to the edge of the, the wilderness finding the cabins of previous people who've made the trip and sort of lived out their lives and died there and maybe decided, well, why don't we just go back and get some more people? Mm. Maybe that becomes becomes the game the, the hobo railroad, as it were of let's just get people the hell out of this place Hmm. Yeah, it's got a lot of legs to it, as it were. Yes, many limbs. So many limbs. Cool. And such plentiful organs. <laughs> more organs does mean more human, that is true. Indeed, that's how it works. Speaking of which, um, apparently there is a new TV movie for Invader Zim called Enter the Floppus, which I don't know what that <coughs> means, but due shortly. So, Ooh. yeah, look forward to that in a terrified way. Okay, I will do that. Though I'm also looking forward to Infinity Train. Yes, indeed. That was uh, a trailer, a particularly difficult to access trailer dropped recently. So it's like, hmm, excellent. That looks like a fun thing. That is, uh, Infinity Train did pop up in my mind talking about the um, being trapped in a puzzling world of um, misdirection. So that's a, that's oh, a fun yeah. one. Yeah, we should definitely link to that one. That's a, that is a, that looks pretty entertaining. Mm. I, I will admit, with my my trapped in a shopping arcade one, my brain did unhelpfully throw in the ooh, you could totally turn this into a science fictional thing where you've got like the um, the, the, the network of, of dimensional portals or, or, or of wormholes that go between between different planets and they massively shorten the distance. And because people are people, of course, they put fucking shops on them. <laughs> because why wouldn't they? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially since you could like trade between different realities and so forth. I kind of like that, yes. actually. That's kind of... And so what you've basically got is this colossal shopping mall with portals to different planets and for whatever reason the one that's going to your world just isn't working anymore and so you're stuck in a mall forever that would be terrifying the idea that they start you know they the way that you know they used they they used to they'd build a bridge over a river and then some smart aleck would decide hey i could put my house on the bridge and you end up with these terrifying 
overhanging kind of structures on the bridges, and some people just basically have assembled in these these glittering paths between points in the cosmos. They've basically just bolted on all of these fast food outfits and so forth. So it's fringe-worthy, but with vendors. Yes. Okay. Mall-worthy. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's appalling, and I love it. <laughs> it did really. It did feel like my 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 limited experience of travel, and you know the reason that I I no longer leave my house. When I was in Sydney for a week for a uh, a network attack storage storage attached network um, training thing, I was in a very nice hotel in central Sydney. I would leave the hotel, walk maybe twenty feet, enter a mall, get a bacon and egg sandwich from one of about 40 bacon and egg sandwich vendors on my route go to the uh, go to the train which was part of which the mall was connected to the train station there be taken across the bridge to another mall where i could pick up bacon and egg sandwiches if i felt like it and then walked maybe 20 feet to the the training establishment it was like this is very surreal yep yes and that was my first exposure to the 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 experience of being an underground um, public transport system with the weird fluctuations of pressure and me flashing back to Jacob's ladder. So, yeah, that was that was interesting. You might want to avoid New Street Station in Birmingham then, for the bacon and egg sandwiches. Or the... <laughs> eh, that's another story. Um, no, specifically for the the public transport thing because I was. I had wandered into a shopping mall in Birmingham, as one does, wandered through it, and then suddenly I was in a train station. <laughs> yeah. Did you, but you'd, you'd sort of gone through some sort of checkpoint and suddenly you're like, oh, oh shit, apparently I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, no, the, 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 the demarcation zone was reasonably clear. It was just sort of a, oh, we wander around, oh, there's an atrium with a train station in it. What? Why? How? Yeah. No, it was, it was, I found it a novel experience. It was sort of like, well, here I am in this apparently seamless underground world of bacon and egg sandwiches. Good bacon and egg sandwiches too. It was like, yeah, it's like it, they just appeared to be very popular when I was there. Huh. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so the bacon and egg sandwich. All right. Yeah, apparently that was the that was the thing. In the bacon roll or the um, the roll with sausage in it to distinguish it from a sausage roll. Right. Um, is is very much a thing here. Mm. I'm shocked. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right. Aghast. I, I, yeah, I aghast. Say. Horrified. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I'm not sure if the jellied eagle roll is also a thing. I'm hoping not, but I'm too scared to ask. Then it seems wise. All right. So thank you, John. All right. And John has been extremely busy. This one's about a month old on the MeWe groups, but we we are just getting the opportunity to look back to it. Here is his contribution for Everything is Alive on the Starship. First off, the ship I'd love to take a trip on would be the RSL Legacy from Disney's Treasure Planet. For this pitch, you have to define what alive is. In this case, since humans nothing more than walking chemistry production facilities, in this case, it would all be nanomachine based. The ship is a Star Wisp, a ship, minus its light sail, that could fit in the palm of your hand and masses around a kilogram. The ship contains sufficient worker nanomachines to help build micro-machines to build micro-scale machines to start work on a colony. Memory storage is on the quantum scale, so the small ship has a couple of zettabytes worth of information, including the digitized minds of a million humans and their genetic codes. 
The goal is to build a larger sh- ship from what the Star Wars can find in the star system. To help prepare for the colonists that awaits them, a virtual colony is created where they can work out problems they run into. The simulation being updated as more information is provided from probes investigating the target world. Now, only a small handful of humans are fully aware, as they're allowed to do things that AIs cannot, like kill other AIs or humans. This handful, and by only a handful I mean a thousand or so, work with the other colonists that are called P-Zombies, or a philosophical zombie in that they are not self-aware and do not have memories, but they will react appropriately to the simulation and help determine the best way to deal with the situation on the colony. The fully aware humans are the ones that will be the colony's leaders and protectors, as there are factions on the humans, because of course there are. You can't have a game unless you have some form of conflict. The factions are split between the socialists, anarchists, and the federalists. The socialists are the youngest humans, basically the most recently recorded and used to the capitalistic socialism of Earth when the Star Wisp was launched. The Anarchs and Feds were the early adopters of direct neural interfaces and used their DNIs to wage electronic war on others, trying to reform Earth their point of view. They both lost the government, which kept recordings of their minds. Who knows, they may prove useful in the future. So now we're in a colony world, with Anarchs and sleeper agent Feds trying to set things up so they found a colony in the image of their ideals. Oh, and some of the AIs across the threshold have become fully self-aware, and they would like their own colony. This is borrowed heavily from Ken McLeod's Corpor- The Corporation Wars, and I'd use Fate for this game for the rules and cinematic play. If your VR Simbody dies, you may get reset, maybe with or without your memories. So, there we have another one of these, these terrible science fictional ideas. Have you given science fiction up for Lent, or is not that, that not how it works? I don't think so. I mean, I tried giving up abstinence and moderation for Lent, but I wasn't able to. Right, fair enough. I, I honestly can't tell whether it worked or not. <laughs> no, I, I, I just thought, eh, let's not do another science fiction-y um, um, story for Stranded, just because that's the way my my brain seems to go. So I wanted to go in a different direction. Right. And so naturally, partway through, my brain crops up and goes, ooh, space arcade! Like, Come on, we've talked about this! You're not helping. I know you're trying to help, but you're not helping. You, you wanted to play against type. That's fair enough. A, a little bit, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yes, we have the compressed colonists traveling in their, their microscopic solar sail ship. I'm philosophically iffy about philosophical zombies. I'm sure the um, software rights activists would be um, iffy about that. And, you know... At some point, we're going to start to ask moral questions. Is, is conscious? Is even simulated consciousness evidence of possessing ethical uh, consider? Uh, you know, uh, an opportunity for ethical consideration. And we may be a way off from that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're also a way off from um, digitizing our minds and DNA structures. So, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure random, uh, randomly deleting sentient software in like the world of Ian Banks's oh culture yeah the culture culture universe yeah I'm pretty sure that would be a capital offence of uh, some sort it seems reasonable yeah yeah but yeah so uh, the running running the simulations to try and figure out how the problems you're going to deal with it's very sort of Alpha Centauri planning the uh, in fact planning Alpha Centauri in advance so it possibly doesn't go so horribly wrong hmm I weirdly tried to do a game a little bit like this once, mm-hmm. but it kind of spiraled. Well, 
it spiraled away on me into something rather better than what I had planned, and so I just quietly crossed out all of the uh, all of this as a simulation bit. Partially, that's that, that's probably a good idea. At least if the players are in charge of, or at least aware of it being a simulation, it's like if they there's less incentive for them to get it right, or at least possibly more incentive for them to get it perfect, which could both be a problem. True. Yeah, they either won't care or they'll care a hundred and crazy percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As, as, the, as the saying goes. I, looking at this, the bits of it I like are the. The, the the sort of the tiny handful of aware humans ish and the simulation bit the the political bit isn't grabbing me personally but that's just me um, there may be and I hope there are people out in the audience even now screaming are you kidding me that's the best bit what the hell is wrong with you you long haired freak and yeah that would be fair hmm. it's it's entirely possible that the um, socialist capitalist thing may be more presently updated to being straight up socialist and that because that's what the kids seem to be into these days so yeah there might be a there's room for definitely um picking and choosing there the idea that it does see it does seem a bit like the history of the internet where you started where you started off with like these these early adopters who are complaining about um endless september when you know the the AOL started, and all these people got access to Usenet back in the day, and suddenly it was all ruined, and it's been all ruined a number of times since then. <laughs> so it's like, oh well, so ruined, so, so ruined, so but yes, ruined. But the with we're now we we have lurched past Web 2.0, and everything is now trapped in Facebook and YouTube and um, some relatively isolated platforms. People bemoan, and for a number of extremely good and extremistly good um, reasons the, um, the, the, the the present state of it but the idea of the conflict being between these kind of but based on the ideologies of people when they entered the system when they became when they when they in fact when they gained access to the system because that that is very much a you know you have to saw the top of your head off to get your um, to get your personality um, uploaded to here take this pill um is probably a bit of a jump mm. so yeah that could be a it could be an interesting examination of different cohorts of of colonist in this question so yeah mm. i, I kind of I, I could see where they're going i think it might be instructive to either abstract them into their own like give them their own names and sort of things where they came from or bite down hard on the um, the fact that you know these are these are literally the 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 federalists and the anarchists and so forth mm. and it puts me vaguely in mind of i think it's the oh god my brain's gone blank as to who wrote them there was the um uh, shaper mechanist um universe of stories mm. but bruce sterling i think okay could be bruce sterling um which dealt a lot with the much like this does the the intersection of of philosophies both political and social and in the case of shaper mechanist um evolutionary where it's basically um cybernetic enhancement versus biological and genetic enhancement those stories also spent a bit of time looking at the dead ends along that route Hmm. But 
that's kind of what bits of this put me in mind of. Uh, yes, I mean, the idea the idea of keeping your own enemies around in cold storage just in case they might be useful hmm. is an interesting one. Yeah. Um, because it does sort of presupposes the idea that at some point you're going to run into a situation where you need just the right sort of complete bastard, and it happens that you know where that one's saved. Yes, the idea of this sort of like this enlightened moral relativist is like, wow, you're a total jerk, but we might need a jerk like you in the future. Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, a- yeah. You need you need precisely the right sort of evil git to solve this problem, and so you brought him along just in case. Yeah, it makes a for a weird. It certainly makes for an uncomfortable fit for a traditional RPG. It, it almost becomes Pokemon with. You know, political ideologies. Wow. <laughs> Winston Churchill, I choose you! Sorry. Um, <laughs> don't you yeah. judge me. The, it, it, yeah, it becomes sort of like, like a mix between, you know, it's Adamoff's psychohistory and yep. the ability to spin up these kind of various demagogues or, or, or thinkers and see how they, how they control the situation. <sighs> Yeah, I, I am having trouble how to figure figuring out how to do that in a game. Yes, it definitely needs some work on that front. The idea of the yeah, political Pokemon is kind of a terrifying concept. Mm. Max uses collectivization. It's super effective. <laughs> wow. Okay, that was a sentence I never thought I'd hear. <laughs> uh, at least in in that sort of level of level of intonation. Yeah, I mean, the bits, I guess the bits that really intrigue me about this one is the jumping off point from the simulation to the real. Yeah, because otherwise doing doing the simulations is a bit feckless. There's no, you, you simulate what might happen and then you have models that you might be able to follow and then something completely screws them. <laughs> and mm. Either you go in with this, you, you go into the thing that, the, the, with a backstory that you've done all these simulations and you know precisely what's going to happen and then you find you've got a f- there's, a, there's something you didn't account for and you, the, the game is dealing with it. I can see that being a game it's a weird backstory for a game but that's not unusual hmm and I am reminded of a thing from there was the I do not believe it is running anymore um, actual play podcast Porcelain Llama Theatre who at one point were doing a it's sort of a, a near-future game with quite a lot of sort of implied internet technology and the like. And I do remember a bit where they're basically trying... Yeah, somebody's trying to identify a creature and so basically just throws the thing out to their internet followers to say, hey, does anybody know what this is? And then just takes a look at what the responses are. Right. Um, I'm imagining a similar thing with the with the simulations. And if... If we assume that the simulations can be run much faster than the real world, then you've potentially got a game in there of you're still operating at the the nano machine level, or at the the software level. Effectively, the nano machines are out there building and trying to ladder their way up. Mm. But you are you are monitoring situations. You are running into problems, and when you run into problems, you then spin up a bunch of simulations of okay. How do we solve this? What is our best combination of assets to solve this thing? And kind of get the results back. And 
presumably the, the simulation runs at a level of granularity that doesn't make it the real world, but you can mm. do it very, very fast, and then, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, inter- it's what would be weird is how you would do that. Would you run into the Decker paradox from Shadowrun, or would you um, end up just consolidating into a skill roll, and you go, I, I, I roll against my virtuosity skill. It works. And that seems too... The, the, yeah, that seems too boring. The other one seems like it takes up too much time. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, the, the, the problem that you, you end up... the subsyst- One of the subsystems of the game takes all of the um, focus out of the game, which is has been proven to be a terrible idea. At least people love the subsystem more than the, uh, the game itself. Combat in Dungeons & Dragons, we are not looking at you yet. I was still thinking decking in Shadowrun, but that was just me. Well, that, that's that's one where you you have got a you've got a set of competing subsystems. I mean, like, oh, I guess we're not doing any any anything else for um, twenty minutes or more. So yeah, twenty minutes. I wish. Mm. Maybe it was just the group I was playing with. Anyway, okay. So yeah, yeah, we. It's always nice to see pea zombies cropping up. I mean, not in a good way, but as, as just as a concept, it's always nice to see those cropping up. Mm. So yeah, you, you wanna you wanna a mechanic that makes the arrival at this the, 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 the results of the simulation as interesting as all the other parts of the game and as inclusive. So mm. Yes, it's yeah, how quite how you do it is 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 the problem, but it's, it's a kind of a fun problem, yeah. Mm. Cool. Alrighty. Alrighty. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. And as a final one, this one for Witch Planet Soccer, which comes to us from Taz. There really isn't a good way of navigating around the word witch in this context, is there? Yes. Fair that enough. Was, there wasn't even a helpful response. Was <laughs> no, it wasn't. I was, I was waiting for the punchline, and it turned out that was it. Fair enough. It was a, that was the punchline. Okay. I mean, I'm also slightly hampered by the fact that on RPGNet, the initials WPS stand for White Puppy Solarium, being the, the opposite of the Black Bug Room. Do we have time to unpack that, or should I just go and Google shit? <laughs> Black Bug Room tends to be the, uh, or BBR, being the kind of warning for, yeah, there's some horrible stuff in this post. White Puppy Solarium is, things are, yeah, there is some wonderful and lovely stuff in this post, possibly involving puppies playing in sunbeams. Right. Yeah, there you go. That is the sign of an internet community that <laughs> that has been doing its thing for a while. Oh, yeah. Godspeed, you crazy bastards. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so, Tez writes, Witch Planet Soccer could be an urban fantasy setting where witchcraft is a normal science. But on this world, they don't use wands or brooms. They use spheres of all kinds, and the type of sphere you have mastery over flavors the type of magic you can do. Billiard balls, beach balls, ball bearings, crystal balls, and yes, soccer balls. There are a billion balls in the world, and everyone has a master. You shall go to the ball. (laughs) I tried to resist, but not very hard. Taz continues. If I were writing this as a novel, it would be a coming-of-age story about a girl and her friend. The girl has not found her mastery, but her friends, who have, try to help her on her quest to find it. So it's like the Cutie Mark Crusaders from My Little Pony. Spoiler! She only has one sphere that she can control. Which planet itself? Indeed. I, I was trying to do the sort of the portentous eyebrow thing. Right. It does not work in an audio-only yeah, format. Yeah. Sorry. 
Well, I mean, conceivably, the young heroine has control of all planets, but it's been very hard to spot if she's moving any of the other ones. Mm. I guess it depends on the level of control. I mean, in the, case of a, in the case of a soccer ball, you would presumably want to control where it goes. Maybe pressure and... I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe it's more a holistic thing. Maybe it's about zestful athletic competition and, and, and teamwork and something like that. You know, and that, you know, that completely arbitrary and ambiguous cutie mark fashion, rather than you can control a, a leather a leather clad pig's bladder of a certain temperature and density. Solid. And then, yeah, because then it does depend on whether it's, you know, which manufacturer. Mm. Yeah, what if it's a, um, you know, you know, do your thing. No, sorry, that's a Gilbert. I can only control Spaulding's. <laughs> yes. It's... Yeah, that seems needlessly specific. That's what I said! <laughs> He's like, yes, yeah, like, or you get you get down like that one's a bit weird. What rugby balls? Oh. <laughs> it's not even spherical. Who would do that? It's just weird. And, and, strictly, and strictly speaking, plants are obl- often oblate spheroids, so yeah, we don't have to be too restrictive around that. But yes, there is presumably a line that gets drawn. Yeah, I like Indeed. the the idea of the 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 coming of age tale where someone discovers they are. Uh, responsible for the entire planet when everyone else is dealing with spheres from um, just Sport. just visible to, you know, maybe a rather large rock. It's like, oh, that's a lot of responsibility to get all of a sudden. Mm. And if it, yeah, if it, if it sort of extends, yeah, as you say, if it's a bit amorphous and, and, and totemic, so the, um, you know, the soccer ball extends to teamwork and... And, and competition and, and all this sort of crap. And match fixing. No, sorry, that's a cricket ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Billiard balls being all about sort of precision and, and finesse. Beach balls being about terrible, terrible movies. Um, With Annette Finicello in them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's not, let's not start listing different types of yeah, balls. Yeah, indeed. It's eventually going to go to a terrible place. <laughs> Or immediately, we right, right. I get, yeah. I, I, I went there. Yeah, it's yeah, a terrible place. Yeah, okay, fair so, but yeah, being able to control the witch planet itself kind of suggests, well, deciding no, I don't want it to be sunset yet. Any any application of physics would turn that into an apocalypse scenario, of course. But um, maybe it's more like unity and 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 custodianship of the entire Megilla. Maybe maybe that's a better way to do it. Because uh, yeah. you get physics involved, it's going to be tears before bedtime, and also the uh, surface of the planet will probably slop off. <laughs> I think we can safely assume that the magical ability to control the planet includes the magical ability to not twist it inside out by mistake. But yeah, <laughs> you gotta hope. You gotta um, hope. So yes, it, it, it's sort of unity, weather control. It, it is. It's a bit the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. It is a little. It is a little, yes. Just in terms of apocalyptically powerful. <laughs> Provided, well, it, it becomes that if the protagonist's friends figure out what's going on before the protagonist does and suddenly become really, really concerned about keeping her calm and even-tempered. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that would that would be bad. I mean, especially if the sort of the learning to control your your particular sort of sphere takes some time. So mm. yeah, the person with with control over soccer balls spent a week just exploding every piece of sports equipment they walked past. Yes, yes, that would definitely be a bit of a troubling learning curve. Mm. I mean, alternatively, depending, and I'm going to be honest, I'm imagining this is an anime. Um, I'm trying not to, but that's just what's happening in my head. Well, that's fair. But the thing that I... Yeah, between Little Witch Academia and, you know, Rudy says, well, that would makes a makes good sense. But the, the, the dreadful one that I came up with is there is such a thing as flat eartherism on the witch planet and the protagonist is a, a adherent thereof in a circumstance. Okay. It doesn't seem likely, but yeah. <laughs> It'd be funny. It would be funny. I mean, I was... There is a bit in the the comic series The Authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a character who is... Yeah, has... Ever since they were... Well, when they were a kid. Kept on being abducted by aliens, operated on, and then put back basically exactly where they took them from, like a split second later. Um, but often terrified and covered with goo um and got sort of multiply operated on to turn them into a creature basically designed to to live in cities to be part of the city that's jack hawksmore from um stormwatch authority was this that was the offshoot from um from stormwatch yeah so he's yeah so, so he, he's got the ability to talk to cities and see through their eyes windows or, yeah or travel between them, but kind of by being absorbed by one and recreated in another, and things like mm. that. And feeding off pollution, which doesn't say great things about cities, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and sort of a part of that was basically that the aliens were setting things up so that when the appropriate time came, there'd be a creature who was capable of using a city to punch a monster in the face. Right. Okay, so... I'm wondering if you've got the same thing here, if you have the idea that everybody everybody ha- gets their sphere, and I mean, much like My Little Pony, get that judgment out of your eyes, audience. <laughs> much like My Little Pony, there's the whole thing of their, 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 their cutie mark being sort of very much about them and about who they are as a... Their destiny. Equine. Yeah. That in the same way, the, the, the sort of sphere they control is very much about them as a person... And somebody crops up who can control the entire planet. Does that mean that what you've got is our future overlord? Or does that mean that there's something looming on the horizon that's so apocalyptically bad that you actually need somebody who can move the planet? Right. And the, the existence of this person is probably an existential threat, but they're, they're there for a, a, a reason because there is even more existential threat. So we're kind of going down the Neon Genesis Evangelion rabbit hole, which has just been re-released on um, Netflix, so people, a whole new generation will get to be fucked up by that show. <laughs> I still don't know what I think of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Years later, I still can't really come to a, conc- a conclusion about it. It's just like, what? Much ink has been spilled digitally, but I think it comes down to the one scene where Shiji says, I'm so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and isn't it basically a thing of, if you've got somebody who is incredibly depressed, maybe don't get them to write an anime? I have seen a, a mark, pretty marvellous treatise on the um, the rebuilds. The, 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 the 
movie-length retellings of the original story, but possibly in a different uni- universe or a a subsequent universe to the previous ones, which should suggests that Hideki Anno's message is seriously, guys, go outside. Oh, so what <laughs> Nintendo have been trying to persuade us of all this time? I don't see how, but <laughs> but yes, uh, the the, yeah, the, well, idea... the whole thing of just creating more and more portable. Um... Uh, game consoles. For the love of God, leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was there was quite a quite a an, an amazing thing where they moved from the the fan backlash to the original series kind of become not ending in the normal shown in action way. And then when they did when they released the subsequent death and rebirth and so forth, putting in the fan complaints. And a picture of the audience watching the film. I'm liking it. Not yes. gonna lie. Uh, and the, also the the, the 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 line was it in effect Shinji saved all of the waifus <laughs> was something that really stuck with me. That is that is several layers down though. It's watchable just on a messed up psychologically inquisitive big monsters battle robots show, but there is still stuff below that as well. Yeah. So, good fun. I I do have saved somewhere in the collection of weird imagery that I I have saved a snippet of a conversation about something found at the very edge of of Netflix called Deep Space Waifu Academy. That that's all I know. That's all it is. That's that's fair. If it, if you'd found it on Steam, it would definitely be porn. Oh. Of course it would. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I guess we have we have invoked Neon Genesis Evangelion, My Little Pony, and just several other... Whatever uh, that was. And so clean yeah. stuff. So I think we're probably at the end of our um, our tether. Our yeah, so tether dragging, dragging ourselves <laughs> reluctantly back to the um, to, to, to the bowling alley of Taz's idea. Um, so I see what I did there. Or at least the gutter. Nice, I like yeah. it. Yeah, so there is the... There, there is the option of the charming anime of let's stop our friend from figuring out that she has um, control over the the entire planet, or somehow trick her into learning how to control it without knowing that's what she's doing. Indeed. Or there's the oh look a gigantic space alien is coming. This band of plucky schoolgirls because it's always a band of plucky schoolgirls. Mm-hmm. It's it. I, I cannot imagine this not being an anime. I'm sorry. It's just apparently is what's happening in my head. It says terrible things about me. You already knew. Come on. Yes. So so they get to do form continental fist and punch the giant space monster right in the mush. I'm liking it. Mm. Also, it depends on what the um you know, how how clever the um the level of control is. Yeah, you're controlling the the control over the entire witch planet. Does that mean you can control the witch planet's gravity? Maybe. Could you, for example, switch off gravity at just the right time and smack the, the monster right in the nards with the moon? Mm. Or um, manipulate the magnetic fields and give it a, a nice a bathing of uh, concentrated solar radiation. Hmm. The you Van know? Allen funnel, as it were. <laughs> yes. Mistakenly referred to as the Van Halen belt. <laughs> which is not the same thing at all. <laughs> no, no. But it does have the initials in it in the same form as the uh, the band logo. Yeah. And that's not bad. 
Okay, so thank you very much, Taz. Uh, We're very sorry for what we did to your idea. Indeed. It didn't deserve that. <laughs> so few ideas do, but eh, it's just what seems to happen. All right, so that, at the end of what I suspect is an extremely long episode, yep. is all of what we laughingly refer to as content, plus the ideas from the audience. Indeed. Thank you for your contributions, John, John, and Taz. And thank you, indeed, for the initial idea way back in the, the dawn of time when this episode started, from Jared O. Indeed. Which now leads us to the the question of... Well, I mean, it's... Yeah, it is the question of what's the next episode. Because out there, you have been voting. Indeed, using your de- democratic powers for good rather than evil. Well... <laughs> jury's out on that one, because what one was... What does a cheeky Nando's mean? Which is indescribably described by a retired Tumblr image, I guess. Yeah. So that's going. To so be that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can persuade because I mean the whole cheeky Nando's does seem to be a very British thing. It may even just be a very English thing. I'm not sure on that one. Um, so as a result, the idea of a couple of New Zealanders telling you all about what a cheeky Nando's is, is seems even more ridiculous than the usual crap we do. Indeed. There's some argument about decolonizing it in the name of colonies, but we haven't really developed that very far. Yes, I mean, we, we could be we could be taking the, the, the phrase cheeky Nando's back from the colonial oppressors, but given that the entire thing appears to have been nicked from Portugal, uh, we don't really have a leg to stand on. Indeed. So... So we're just going to muddle along as best we can. I'll see if I can find any actual locals or approximations thereof who would be willing to put down in electronic form their thoughts on how one defines a cheeky Nando's. What makes it cheeky? What makes it Nando's? I'm hoping that I have a reasonable handle on that bit. Because (laughs) if I don't... Oh, man, I do not understand anything about this country. Excellent. All right. So, that will be episode 127. What is a Cheeky Nando's? Indeed. And so, please come up with ideas for that, because, frankly, that's bewildering and terrifying. And to replace that one in our roster of votable ideas, we have from TriggerHappy938... Can I submit the entire documentary of Tickled as a prompt for the box? Which I think we've come to the uh, unanimous response from the staff of, no. <laughs> but I guess we'll no, find out. No, you can't, out. because it's <laughs> going to require us to watch the damn documentary. I, I understand it's uh, it's fascinating, um, and I believe it comes from a New Zealand filmmaker, so maybe there's a responsibility there. But uh, let's I don't find know, out. They just... Feels like pandering to the New Zealand film industry. They've they've had like three Lord of the Rings films and about twelve Hobbit films. That that's enough. Not sure if that. Well, I guess that does. They do, they they do briefly employ New Zealanders to make those films. So that is. I fair. guess it counts okay. as the New Zealand film industry. Yeah, rather than its own little fiefdom. So yes, the things upon which we are encouraging you to vote for episode one twenty eight, but not not equally encouraging you to vote for. Actually, there's a point. Do we watch the, the documentary now, or do we only watch once it gets voted? I think we, we watch it once it gets voted in, yeah. All right. So, um, 
running down the list of your options for, for episode 128, we have Religious Cops Train to Fight Magic. If we don't go there, who will? Apparently, not us. Malevolent Immediacy. And can I submit the entire documentary of Tickled as a prompt for the box? I do like the idea that some people are going to go with watching the documentary Tickled and then using that as an idea, and other people are simply going to go with the question. <laughs> it's possible, indeed. Hmm. All right. So thank you, Tr- Trigger Happy. Thank you, extraordinarily long-suffering audience. And we will see you next time on The Bigger Couch. Bye. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.